There was a Jesus who died on a cross and then was resurrected from the dead. What does that mean to us? The one who did what was necessary so that people could have that opportunity to be reconciled with God. The relationship that God offers to us is one in which we are safe and secure together with Him. This is what we as a church are all about. This is why we are going to continue to try to get that message out and why we are not going to stand pat, put out a no vacancy sign, because this message is for everybody. So glad that you're a part of this special season here as we talked about It's Love Gives, and this year, we're adding something extra to that. Love leaves a legacy as we're talking about an expansion that is really about something much more important than bricks and mortar. And to really understand the motivation, the heart behind that, the why behind that, we've gone back in time, not just with Washington Heights, to recognize that this church began almost 70 years ago at a different location, and they moved here. Why? For the very same reason that we have the opportunity to respond to right now in our day, in our time. And to really understand that we went all the way back to the beginning of the church. I mean, we're part of a church right now. What does that even mean? What was it supposed to be? And it was Jesus' idea from the very beginning. He predicted it. And when Peter made this confession about who Jesus was, that he was the long-promised Messiah, he was God's one and only Son, a title of divinity. This was God in the flesh who has come to our rescue. And then Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And when he used the word church, we often think buildings, but what he was talking about was a gathering. It was more a movement than it was something static. And then sure enough, just as he predicted, it began. And on a day called Pentecost, one of his followers named Peter stands up. And what does he talk about? What is it founded on? It's founded on a fact. It's founded on an event. It's founded on a matter of historical record that Jesus lived and died and rose again from the dead. And that's what he talked about. And that was opening day of the church. And then it became this movement, exactly as Jesus predicted it would be. And all of a sudden, people were hearing about Jesus and his life and death and resurrection. And there were people putting hope and trust in that. And Jesus even gave them this sign gift, this ability to heal people. 
Not so that, you know, they would live forever. I don't know you, if you've ever met anybody from the first century who's still around today. I just can't die. You know, I walk out in the traffic and I just can't die, you know, because I've been around here for 2,000 years. That's not how it worked. The people that were healed even in that day, it was an indicator that the message was legit and Jesus was legit and that's who he truly is. But word gets out and rumor gets out and people are coming from all over to hear the message and to see God's power at work in lives, transforming them. And it's all through a city called Jerusalem. So what started on a fact has now become various acts that people are carrying out to express that faith in the one that they follow. Again, it is a movement. And so we've been in the early chapters of a New Testament book called Acts. And that's a strange name, isn't it? Acts. Why is it called Acts? It's not called teachings. It's not called ideas. It's not called thoughts. It's not called feelings. It's certainly not called pontifications. It's called Acts. Why? Because it's filled with actions. Because it's filled with the expressions of the movement that gathered in Jesus' name and then lived out that faith in real ways. And it even tells us in some of those early verses there that they enjoyed the favor of the people. People were saying, this is amazing. We've never seen anything like this. We've never heard anything like this. And to a watching world, this movement was something positively different, something this world had never seen. And they cared for one another, and they cared for people outside of their community. And when they saw a need, they met it. And all over town, all over the city of Jerusalem, people were saying, I want in. I want to be a part of that too. And things are going really well until they're not. Because then we're told that there are some religious leaders, and the word that is used to describe where they are at this moment is jealous. Why are they jealous? Because people are heading in that direction and not coming to them anymore. They're joining this Jesus movement and they're not coming to us. And so what they do, they decide, let's round up the ringleaders, the apostles who have been walking with Jesus. They are the ones who have been talking about this message and we got rid of Jesus. Maybe if we get rid of this group of leaders, maybe once and for all, we could put an end to all of this. And so they get arrested and they get put in the city jail. And then during the night, Luke, who writes this book called Acts, tells us that someone or something opened the jail cell and now they are free to come out. And in the morning, when the leaders come, they discover, well, the jail is empty. We put them in that cell, but they're not there anymore. Where are they going? Have they run for the hills? But they haven't. You know where they went? Right back to where they got arrested. And they're in the temple courts. And what are they doing? They're talking about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And even this gift, this sign gift that Jesus gave them, people are getting healed and transformed. And there's this crowd that's there and everybody is on board. And so the religious leaders say, well, go out there again because somebody says, yeah, they're right back where they were. Go round them up and bring them back in. 
And so the people that go to arrest the apostles now go to them, and this is a little bit humorous, the, the crowd is so big and so on board with what they're talking about that they actually go to the apostles, the people trying to arrest them, and they say, hey, would you guys kind of re-arrest yourselves? Because we're a little afraid that if we arrest you, the crowd is going to stone us to death. So would you put yourself back into, you know, incarceration for us? That would really help us out here. They're like, okay. And so they're brought in once again. And that's where we pick up the story. In a book called Acts, as people are putting some courageous acts around a faith that is founded on an event, on something that actually happened. And I got to tell you, looking at these chapters here in the early days of the church has been so convicting to me and I hope and pray it is for all of us to a degree. You know, we talked about this from the beginning, that they prayed these bold prayers, that God would give them the ability to be bold. And I think in our day, what do we pray? We pray, God bless me. And I think most of the world goes, really? You're praying for more blessing? You're like more blessed than 95% of the people of the world. How much blessing would be enough for you? Or we pray for safety. And we live in one of the most safest places in the world. They prayed for boldness. They created a community that was positively different. And today we're going to see them become courageous. And I wonder if we can try to understand what does that mean for us today in our moment of time, in our culture? What does it mean to be courageous as followers of Jesus? So the apostles are arrested, put in jail, they're let out, they go back to what they were doing, they re-incarcerate themselves, and then here's where we pick up the story. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin. That's the legal aspect of the religious leadership of the day. To us, you know, there's a lot of separation of church and state and things like that. There wasn't in those days, and so this is like the Supreme Court. They appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. This is like the man. His word is law. We gave you strict orders not to teach in, and notice this, this name. They can't even say it. And 2,000 years later, as we are today living out this legacy of faith and following Jesus in our day, there's still something about that name, isn't there? We can talk about God sometimes at 30,000-foot level, but all of a sudden you bring Jesus into the conversation and it gets a little bit different. Well, that was true then as well, and they don't even want to say the name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem, tells you how wide this thing has gotten with your teaching, and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. There again, they will not say it. And Peter has been like this broken record. Every time he talks about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, especially when he gets to the death, he says, and you crucified him. And I wonder if inside of Peter, you know, at this moment, hey, you're always trying to make us look guilty. I wonder if Peter's saying, that's because you are. That's <laughs> because of what you did. That's you. And then it goes on. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. That's another way of saying we're going to follow God and not you, no matter what you tell us. The God of our ancestors, and here it is, your broken record, Peter, raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. What was the centerpiece of what they believed and what 
they understood to be reality. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. God exalted him, Jesus, to his own right hand as prince and savior. I'm going to ask you to hold on to those three words for a minute because we're going to come back to it later. Prince and savior. Savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are, and this is what separates faith in Jesus from any other spiritual pursuit. We are not people who think this is a better way to live. We're not people who have latched on to a set of teaching that is just superior to any set of teaching that's out there. This isn't even what we believe that we believe that we believe. We are witnesses. We've seen it with our own eyes. We've heard it with our own ears. And this didn't happen, you know, in a galaxy far, far away. It happened right here in this city two months ago. Even you know about this. But we're witnesses to this. And what's interesting about that is that Jesus, in his prediction of what was going to happen, he says, you will be my witnesses here and then in expanding regions, even to the end of the world, and here they are doing exactly what Jesus predicted. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were furious, and they wanted to do what? Put them to death. All of a sudden, there's pushback, right? And we're talking serious pushback. And it was within their authority to do exactly that, to put them to death. So what happened? How did we get all the way here, all these generations later? How was this legacy of faith passed down? Because if that had happened, I wonder if the message of Jesus ever would have made it out of that little backwater place of the world. But here we are. And in the text, and I would encourage you to read this later on your own, Acts chapter 5, there's a guy in the room who says, hey, let's remove those apostles from the room for a minute, and I'd like to have a chat here amongst the leadership group. And so they remove them. His name is Gamaliel, a pretty famous guy in his day. And he says, hey, I want to just give you a way to view what's happening right now and what we should do. Do you remember when there was a guy named Thutis not that long ago? Oh, yeah, we remember Thutis. Now, we don't know anything about him outside of the Bible because there's no extra-biblical sort of source about him. But apparently, he led some kind of revolt. There were about 400 people who came to him, and it came to nothing. You know why? Because Rome stepped in, we stepped back, and Rome took care of it, and nothing was heard about Thutis and his effort anymore but we stayed out of it. They're trying to manage this very careful tension between the Roman Empire and our authority. And how do you do that? If you overplay your hand, Rome might come in and get rid of you, but we stepped back and they took care of the problem. That's right. We remember that. And he gives another example. He says, then there was Judas the Galilean. Now, we do know something about him even outside of the Bible. And he was a guy who led a revolt because people were trying to raise taxes by taking a census. And he says, we're not going to get taxed to death, and so we're going to revolt against this. And that's even recorded in secular history of what happened. The followers of Judas the Galilean came to be known as zealots. And if you don't know that word, and that word's not familiar... It means like a freedom fighter or like a guerrilla warfare fighter, depending on where you might be on which side of the issue you're on. 
And by coincidence, one of Jesus' followers was named Simon the Zealot. And so these were people who were very serious about standing up against Rome. Remember what happened with Judas the Galilean? That's right. We didn't take matters into our hands. We stepped back and we let Rome take care of it. And Judas the Galilean was taken care of. And yeah, there's still some zealots out there, but that really came to nothing. So what I advise you, Gamaliel, talking in the room in this moment, what do we do with these apostles here, says this. I advise you to let them go. Because if it's another one of those situations, Rome will take care of it. And they will put an end to this. But then he says something that is just amazing and insightful. He says, but if this is an act of God, you can't stop it. And it's going to be bigger than even the Roman Empire. So let them go. You fast forward to our day. Do you know what the city of Rome, which was the headquarters of the Roman Empire? The Roman Empire is no more, not today. Do you know what the city of Rome has more of than any city in the world? Crosses. How interesting. That's a symbol of the life and especially the death and the resurrection of Jesus is found in the very place that was at odds with the movement of Jesus. So Gamaliel says, I advise you to do that. And that's where we pick up the story again. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Now, before a movie called The Passion of the Christ, we probably would read right by that, not really know what that's about, but now we know. And being flogged is a whip is taken. Your back is laid bare. In the tail of that whip, there are bits of metal, bone, and glass. And it is put into your back. It often sticks, or if it does not, it just rips pieces of flesh out. Even gets down to muscle. Sometimes the bones were laid bare. You would carry horrific scars from that for the rest of your life. And imagine being one of the apostles, hearing the screams, the agony of one of the other apostles, and you're next. And this plays out over the span of hours. This is not, you know, just a moment in time, and then things go on. And after they are all flogged, then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So what do you do after that? First, they said they wanted to kill you. Then they decide, no, let's not do that, but let's have them flogged. And that's a really bad torture. Here's their response. The apostles left the Sanhedrin doing what? Rejoicing. Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And when I read that, and I think about our day. There was a part of me that thought, what have I become? What have we become? And who would respond that way? And why would they respond that way? What were they seeing? What were they 
following. And so what do you do after that? Do you maybe head out of Jerusalem and say, man, we got to go to another city. It's getting a little bit hot around here. There's a lot of opposition coming our way. Let's go somewhere else and start all over again. Here's what they did. Day after day in the temple course, that's exactly where they've been, where they were arrested, where all of this has been taking place. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And here we are. And today is our day. And we don't live in a place like that. One of the temptations of thinking, okay, what do we do with that? is maybe talking about somebody who's a follower of Jesus in one of the hard parts of the world where it's illegal to follow Jesus and horrific things happen to them, but they stay faithful. And that's true. That's okay. But what about us? What does it mean for us to be courageous in our day? We're so greatly blessed. And let me just say this as clearly as I can. We should not feel guilty for being blessed. But I do think we should feel responsibility. What do we do with that? How do we respond to that? What will we do in this moment, our moment, our time, in response to that? Here's what we see from the lives of those followers in those early days. Faith is acts-oriented, action oriented. And their faith was founded on an event, but the movement expressed that faith in so many different ways. And for them, it was often hard to do that. Now, we don't face that same kind of opposition, but I would suggest to you that what courage looks like today is that we put some acts to our faith. And that we express our faith in many, many different ways. Now, here's what I'd like to do in the next few moments. I would like to celebrate some of the things that God is doing. Because, and this is the way I've said it to the staff and to some people recently, it just feels like God is on the move and we're just trying to keep up right now. And there's incredible things happening. So, what I want to do is celebrate what God is doing and celebrate a number of the people that help make those kind of things happen. People whose faith is acts-oriented and who are expressing that same kind of courage in a movement. And yeah, our culture is different, but you know what? Our opportunity is the same. What are we going to do with that? Let's live a faith that is acts-oriented. So we're going to celebrate. And are you familiar with, you know, the polite golf clap kind of thing? We're not going to do that. Okay, we're going to celebrate. And if you're new to church and it's never been a real thing, you know, for you to celebrate and hoot and holler and all that, it's okay here and now. All right? So we're going to do that, and let's see how that goes on a scale of 1 to 10. So I'm going to give you a number of things here um, that God is doing or people that are making it happen, and then we're going to celebrate each and every one because we're celebrating God and people that are putting acts to their faith. So in the last 12 months, there have been 480 people who have said yes to Jesus, who have stepped into a relationship. And 
pretty good. No, I'm kidding. You're, that was awesome. Um, in addition to that, um, there have been 86 people who have gone public with their faith through the legal baptism. And, you know, it takes a lot of people to make things happen during the week and on Sundays at Washington Heights. And leaders are people who either oversee others or have major areas of responsibility. It's a big deal. In the last 12 months, 42 new first-time leaders have stepped into those kind of roles. I think we're in a time that I've never seen in, in my lifetime of God just working in the hearts and lives of people. People are hungry for God. And it's amazing. In the last 12 months, people who have, you know, just come and checked things out for the first time, 1,439 first-time guests have been with us at Washington Heights. And as I said, it takes a lot of people to make things happen around here. And for one week at Washington Heights, how many people does it take to make that happen? 476 volunteers serve per week around here at Washington Heights. Can we celebrate them? We're big believers in small groups as well, that God grows us through, you know, just significant relationships that we have with other people. Oh, my open prayer for every single one of us, it's 2 a.m. and you need to call somebody, you got somebody. In fact, you got a whole group of people that you can call. And right now, um, in the last 12 months, 1,216 people have been growing in their faith with Jesus through small groups. Can we celebrate that? And I've kind of made this joke from time to time that we have a very fertile congregation and we got a lot of kids, you know, that are going on around here. Can I give you some data around that to prove that point? Um, right now, um, WHC Kids, 1,382, 456 zone, 506 students, 400. Total of 2,288 kids in the last 12 months. Unique kids that have been around here. We're in a season of love gives. Those are compassion efforts. What is compassion? It is showing the love of God in practical ways. And in the last 12 months, there have been 12 major compassion events in 2023. Can we celebrate that? You may or may not know about a cool thing um, happening at Washington Heights called God's Garage. And that's where people donate their vehicles. And if you want to bring your keys up, we'll get your ride home um, today. You can do that. And then volunteers fix those cars up, and then they're given away to single moms with no strings attached. And it's always such a great, great thing. In the last 12 months, just the last year, 31 cars have been given away, 61 cars donated to the garage, 25 cars have been repaired. Can we celebrate that?
A lot of people don't know that we have a kitchen crew that prepares a lot of meals. It's a group of ladies and one guy who's our Vietnam veteran guy in there who helps to prepare these meals. They cook a uh, complete meal every Tuesday for something called Celebrate Recovery. They prepare meals for the God's Garage volunteers that are down there. And when there's a funeral, we ask people, would you like to have a reception here? No charge, um, no strings attached, and they prepare meals for that as well. So we asked them in the last year, how many individual plates do you think you prepared for people? And that number, just in the last year, 10,600 meals have been prepared. And just briefly mention Celebrate Recovery every Tuesday. There is a gathering here of people who are trying to overcome hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And there's a higher power in that recovery 12-step group, but we have a name for that higher power, and that name is Jesus. And so people gather. And in the last 12 months, on average, 57 have come. The largest week, we had 97 people gathered to take steps forward in their relationship with God. And maybe you don't know this, but back in April, we started a counseling center, a Christian counseling center, professional, licensed, trained therapists who also factor in the spiritual component. And again, that started in April to give you a little bit of an update of how that's going. There have been 1,480 appointments, 181 individual people who have showed up for those appointments. Can we celebrate that? And technology, right? Every once in a while, we talk about people who are watching us online, and uh, we're able to just see how many people tune in. And it's actually the devices. We can't count the people because they might be sitting in front of a TV screen, so we don't know. Um, but the amount of um, hits on that on a weekly average is 960 viewers. And before we celebrate that, if you're in the area, put some pants on and come on down and join us one of these days. We'd love to have you here in person. Can we celebrate the people who are watching online as well? And so here we are in a special season. And on the chairs, last time we're going to do this in this season is this booklet that talks about Love Leaves a Legacy. And God is on the move, and we're just trying to keep up. And we're looking at an expansion that isn't about brick and mortar, because that's not what the church is about. It's about a movement. And just feels like God is on the move. And so here's what we're inviting you to do over the next couple of weeks. In the back of this booklet, there's an envelope in here. And that envelope allows us to express a commitment, a financial commitment to making that expansion a reality. And my wife and I talked about this for a while. We're making the largest financial commitment that we've ever made to the church. We tithe on a regular basis. We're committing an extra 5% and an upfront gift to that. You do what God tells you to do. As we said, if God's blessed you a lot, I would encourage you and challenge you to give a lot. God's blessed you a little, give a little. If God hasn't blessed you at all, you're off the hook um, with that. 
but do what God tells you to do. And one of the things we did in advance, we went to some leaders here at Washington Heights and we, you know, shared everything that was included in that expansion and said, hey, would you kind of go first and make an upfront commitment? And 35 individual commitments amounts to $1,213,000 that have been committed. And that envelope in there, um, don't, you know, bring it back today. Don't bring it back next week. Our commitment Sunday is going to be December 10th. And so just go to God, pray bold prayers, and do what God tells you to do. We're in a season now that is just different and unique. And our faith is founded on an event, just as it always has been in the movement that is the Jesus movement. And let's express that faith in an acts-oriented way, a way that makes that faith real. Would you bow your heads together with me? God, it's amazing to see the courage of people who put hope and trust in you long ago and in a place that's far away from here. And God, here we are in our moment in time. And God, we are so greatly blessed. And you have been so kind to us. And God, would you show all of us what it means to be courageous here and now? What it means to make our faith acts-oriented. That we would recognize that this has always been intended to be a movement, a Jesus movement, that it is founded on you and it is something to which we look to you because you are our prince and savior, the one who rescues us and the prince being the one who has authority that could also be translated hero, that you are the one we, you, we look to, you are the one we emulate. You are the one that we fix our eyes on. And so God, give us courage in this day, in our moment. And may it only be to your honor and to your glory. So we pray it in the name, the one and only name for which we gather and that we look to for direction and hope. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.